crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. Disclaimer. 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 We are in no way responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other. other. <laughs> Welcome to Crimony. Day 390 of quarantine. And I'm sure we're all... Still not sure what day of the week it is, what time it is. <laughs> Everything is blending together. It is bright outside, so I'm guessing it's daytime. It's a good start. Oh, that was a good quiet sip. Good job. I'm practicing <laughs> quiet sipping because after editing the three episodes, I noticed that I have horrible ADHD and I fidget like a mofo. Do you need a muff to stick oh, your hands in? Hand muff. That might be good. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Apparently, it's a busy day here, so it's a busy day and out maybe in the cars. street. Yeah, I I need uh, to tape my hands together and everything. I just need to stop making so much noise. Well, it's good you're editing because this is kind of like a lesson in how much noise I make. Yeah, how noisy you are. <laughs> God damn! Now I feel like I'm gonna be noisy. I'm all self conscious. Okay, shall we get started? Oh yeah. Okay, right. so I'm excited for this one. Like, excited in a, this is like a fucking fucked up story, but, um, I don't know if you've heard of it. I had never heard of it, but it was, apparently it's like a pretty big story. Like there's, there was like a book and a movie made out oh, of it. Okay. So it takes place in Canada. Um, this is the death of Linda Anderson. I got my mm. stuff from Wikipedia and then I got it from a couple articles by this guy, by this guy named Bob Mitchell. I almost said Gob. Gob <laughs> Mitchell. Mitchell. Oh, Gob. <laughs> um, and then a different article by someone named Steve Rennie, and then Bob Mitchell wrote a book about it. And then someone did a review of the book where I got some information, and they were, like, a little bit harsh. But Okay, so here we go. Linda Anderson was a single mother of two teenage daughters and a young son. Her husband, who was the father of the kids, left her, so... They, um, they're living on their own in Brampton, Ontario, and then somewhere else said Mississauga, 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 Mississauga. How do you spell it? M I S S I S S A U G A. Mississauga. I was almost gonna leave it out, but then I felt like maybe it was important. I don't know Canadian geography. Man, I love the words we can't pronounce. <laughs> okay. Linda suffered from depression and alcoholism. On January 18th, 2003, the daughters, Sandra and Beth, Sandra was 16 and Beth was 15, had been out with friends and got home late that night, and they found their mother dead in the bathtub, so they called 911. Oh, shit. The 911 operator told Sarah and Beth to take their mother out of the tub and perform CPR. They were really crying and, like, upset about it. Yeah. And they were telling the operator that Linda could not be resuscitated. So when the police arrived, they found a horribly tragic scene of their mother who had, like, accidentally died in a bathtub. The cause of death was determined to be drowning. An analysis of the deceased's bodily fluids 
disclosed very high levels of alcohol and drugs, including codeine and acetaminophen, which is another mm. fun word. Acetaminophen. <laughs> okay, so really tragic. Two teenage girls and find their mother, find their dead, mother dead after they're having like a fun night out with their friends. Ooh, and she was probably like, don't be late when you come home. Check in with me. When you get in. Well, that or she's like... Or she's an alcoholic. Know, so she she might be passed yeah. out. Just really sad. So, more than a year after Linda's death, a young guy went to the police and told them that one of the girls had confessed to him at a party that she and her sister had killed their mother. What? So the police set up a sting <laughs> operation. They gave the boy a car that was wired for audio and video, and then he got the sisters to get into the car and kind of asked them about the murder. they weren't like, murder. oh my god, what a nice new car you have with this <laughs> nice huge radio. What's this microphone doing? No, this was the early 2000s. I'm sure they had like really small <laughs> microphones. It's not like oh, the right, 80s. Right, right. <laughs> where it's like this huge camcorder. Speak, speak loudly into the microphone. As he like leans his chest closer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't quite get that. What, what did you say? I'm going a little deaf. So, in the car, they're sitting, chilling, everything's cool, and each of the sisters describes their role and how the murder happened oh while it was all God. being recorded. Because they can't keep their damn mouths shut. Only teenagers. Yeah. So, on January 21st, 2004, Sandra and Beth were arrested, obviously. Here's what happened. What happened? Get ready. The girls had been embarrassed by their mother for a long time because she was an alcoholic and she probably did some things that maybe were a little embarrassing. Sure. So they plotted. And they're teenagers, so everything is embarrassing. Well, that's true. (laughs) She really couldn't win at all, but So they plotted and planned their own mother's murder. And they didn't do it in secret, either. After formulating a murder plan, Sandra and Beth informed three of their friends, who all encouraged the sisters to go through with it, and then they'd, like, laugh at the idea of killing Linda, which is so fucked up. Well, okay, I mean, maybe at that age, you're like, it is a joke. Like, you don't think... Like, if your friend at, like, 15 was like, Oh my god, I hate my mom. She's such a bitch. I'm, I'm gonna kill her. Like, you would just and think, like, you like, should do it. Yeah, totally. you, would, you would just think it was like a figure of speech almost where you're like, yeah, fuck my mom. I hate my mom. Like, she wouldn't let me go to the mall the other day. Like, what a bitch. Yeah, I'm she gonna wouldn't kill let me my get my mom too. eyebrow pierced. Yeah, ever. like, you're just like so angsty. And... I mean, maybe, but, but just wait. Okay. So, one of the three people that knew about Linda's murder was Beth's boyfriend, who was also 15 at the time. And he may have even helped in the planning. So during lunchtime on January 18, 2003, the sisters began giving their mother liquor in order to get her drunk. And their plan was to make Linda fully inebriated so that she could not resist their attack. They also gave Linda Tylenol 3 tablets, which contained codeine, to slow down her heartbeat. So this is pretty diabolical. Oh, so they must have been in, like, biology class in high school. Well... (laughs) The boyfriend may have been, because police later uncovered a chat log between the boyfriend and Beth from a week before the murder. He said, your mom gets Tylenol 3s, right? And she said, probably. And he said, seriously, you should include them in the game plan. Oh. I'm not talking 20 here. I mean, like, 5. Sneaky. Wow. So it doesn't really sound like super joking. 
No. No. Not at that point. I just meant like at the beginning when if they like brought it up in the no, beginning yeah, of it that, where it's like, but... oh yeah, what a bitch. But they didn't tell everyone. They chose like a select group of people that I think that maybe, I mean, and those people didn't tell anyone, you know, so they picked the right three to help them like plan it. So Linda was later found to have an amount of codeine in her blood consistent with the consumption of between four and six Tylenol three tablets. Between four and six. So probably five, (laughs) just like the boyfriend said. Fuck. And Sandra, the older sister, would testify at the boyfriend's trial that he supplied the Tylenol. Can you imagine, like, these 15-year-old kids, and he's just like, here, let me buy some Tylenol for you so you can kill your mom. Love ya. But he's 15 too, right? Yeah. They're both 15 and the one's 16. So, okay. Okay, so Sandra, oh yeah, I read that. Okay, Sandra and Beth then, so they gave their mom a bunch of alcohol and drugs, and then they, while they were waiting for them to work, they were talking to their friends online. And one of their friends ended the conversation with the phrase, good luck, wear gloves. Whoa. Yes! <laughs> so they knew. Did they were you, like, oh, she's already, like, fucking did intoxicated. Did it say whether, like, she took a, 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 a Tylenol, Tylenol like, as pills, or did they crush it up and put it in her alcohol? I think they probably just gave it to her, because she's... She just, you're like, she, you're, you're going to get a hangover here, have your Tylenol. Yeah, maybe. Because <laughs> the boyfriend said, that she, like, oh, your mom uses these Tylenols. Right. Who knows? It could have been part of her addiction. It could have been for hangovers. They just, like, gave them to her. Ooh. Okay. And then the boyfriend also agreed to help the sisters come up with an alibi after the murder. He suggested ways they could mislead the police, suggesting that they buy movie tickets for an hour before the murder took place to create a paper trail. (laughs) So they're, they're thinking. They're pretty clever. Sneaky snakes. He said, I'm involved this much. I'm willing to help you out with any of it. Well, at this point, you're already going to be liable for murder. But he later told the police that his ser- his comments weren't meant to be taken seriously. He was just kidding. I'm just, just kidding. But also, you should probably give this to your mom. And buy the tickets for an alibi. But just kidding. You're Just fine. kidding, though. <laughs> Don't go through with it. But yeah, here are the pills. But you should seriously think about getting a movie ticket. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, on the night that Mert... That murder died. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> On the night that Linda died, Sandra and Beth filled the family bathtub with water and took Linda into the bathroom. Linda had trouble getting into the tub because she was so messed up on vodka and pills mm-hmm. that they, like, helped her in. And then after putting on gloves, like their kind friend suggested, Sandra and Beth gave their mother a massage. And within minutes, according to police reports, Sandra instructed her mother to lie on her stomach so that she could scrub her back. Lie on her stomach in the bathtub? In the bathtub. While I massage you with kitchen gloves? I don't even know if how that's <laughs> physically possible. But she was, like, out of her mind. So then, as soon as her mom turns over, Sandra instantly pushed her mother's head down and did not let go. After four minutes, Sandra released her mother's head and found Linda to be dead. Then, guess what they did? They went with their friends to a nearby restaurant where they celebrated their victory. Their freedom. Sick! Freedom from embarrassment. So sick. Oh, you know what? After this murder, I'm kind of hungry. Let's all go. You think they wore their gloves to dinner? 
Ew! <laughs> That's even sicker. <laughs> well, hopefully they disposed of them, right? If they were really smart. So, later that night, Sandra and Beth called 911 and informed them that they had found their mother lying in a bathtub. And I saw lots of places that their performance was, quotes, Oscar worthy. Oh, that they cried. Yeah, they were crying and they were really upset about it. They're like, we can't bring her back. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess they've had a while to practice their reactions. So, their reason for killing their mom was because she was embarrassing and they were irritated for her for, this is also in quotes, wasting money on alcohol. Yeah, their, they were, their inheritance is going down the drain. They were also unhappy because their friends had better things like swimming pools and clothes. You know, the best way to get swimming pools and clothes is to kill your mother. That then the body magically turns into well, a wait. swimming pool and clothes. Oh, Here's how. Did they get a swimming pool and clothes? <laughs> Here's how they got their swimming pool and clothes. No, I don't know. <laughs> because of their discontent, the sisters began to search on the internet for ways to kill their mother. And they believed that by killing their mother, they were entitled to insurance money. So they thought they would get insurance money if their mom accidentally died. Oh, accidental death, yeah. And then with that, they could... They were going to spend the insurance money on a trip to Europe with their friends. Oh my god, cute! Yeah. Well, that's why their friends were in on it. They were like, yeah, get us that Euro trip. Yeah, oh! <laughs> what? These kids are so fucked up. Oh, and then they decided they decided on drowning because they believed it would be fast and unspectacular. Oh, and not uh, messy. Not at all. I mean, it seemed like it all happened pretty easily, and they would have gotten away with it too if, if it wasn't for those that, pesky kids. That dog. <laughs> <laughs> so both Beth and Sandra were tried and sentenced on December fifteenth, two thousand five to 10 years in prison for first-degree murder. The sisters were separated by age and could not communicate with each other while in jail. They Sam, were tried as adults? No. Oh. No, that's why they only got 10 years got for uh, first-degree murder. So Sandra had been quoted as saying, Well, all I had to do was hold her head underwater. She was in a bathtub filled with water. It's not hard. It's a lot easier to kill a person than you think. I don't know how easy it is to get away with it, but I planned it pretty well. <laughs> and, like, there's all this stuff you have to remember. Like, when you're giving your statement to the cops or whatever, you have to remember, like, you know, things that people do when they're lying. Like, start off with something big and then get more and more into details. Like, that's obviously a major sign that you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so they did, like, some research on lying techniques and stuff, maybe, or, like, what... I bet they watched, like, videos on, like, what... How to tell someone's lying. How to get away with Ugh. murder. They're devious. It's not that hard to murder someone. All you just have to totally do is just do it. It's, it's the lying like, that's the hard part. You just have part. to be careful. Like, don't say the wrong thing. Just, like, remember your lying techniques. That you Even learned. though they didn't. Learned I guess you're YouTube. like, that's, it's so hard to get away with it, though, because then you can't, like, talk about it. Yeah, it's like the murdering is the easy part, but the hard part, really, is the aftermath when you have to, like, try and lie. <laughs> so... Okay, so after three years in being, of being in prison, they began to try to get out. They wanted to... Like, appeal? Yeah, well, they were like, oh, or we've were served three years, it's been, like, enough spoons? time. 
Um, and the boyfriend was found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and received an 18-month sentence. I wrote moth sentence. Uh, <laughs> Where you have to be around eight, lights. 18 <laughs> moths in a room full of light. <laughs> 18 months with lights, uh, which was reduced to eight months confinement and four months under supervision after an appeal. Huh. Good lawyer. Yeah. The older sister, Sandra, was released to a halfway house in 2009, while the younger sister, Beth, was released a year later. The girl's father unsuccessfully attempted to have Beth released earlier so that she could, compete, oh, she could complete her sentence under house arrest in their hometown. A psychologist who evaluated Beth said, She lies and manipulates until she gets what she wants. She said there's no limit to what she will do to get her way. She has little empathy for others, sees herself as above others, gets annoyed and irritated easily, needs to be in control always, has distorted thinking, is very demanding, and refuses to see things from others' point of view. That's the younger sister? Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The younger sister is the crazy one who mm-hmm. needs to be in jail longer. Which, the quiz I just took for my psychology class, that is textbook antisocial personality disorder. Yeah. Which is also a major category for like psychopaths and sociopaths, mm-hmm. or a subcategory of that textbook. Okay, then Beth, after the counselor was like, uh, this bitch is crazy, she made a series of complaints against the counselor and tried to get her removed as her prison therapist. She told the court that the therapist screamed and yelled at her during their sessions. And her she didn't feelings. listen, and Beth didn't trust her. <laughs> She made me cry. <laughs> she yelled at me. Rude. Which I really doubt that happened. Uh-huh. So Sandra was released to a halfway house in 2009 after just three years in jail for killing wow. her own mother. I mean, all she did was hold her head underwater. It's just easy. It's not like I did any... It's not like I stabbed or, like, shot and there was blood everywhere. I just simply held her head. Just for four minutes. That's a long fucking time. It's a long time. That's a long time. (laughs) Okay. And, And then, after she was released, she studied engineering at a Canadian university. So she still got to go to college and have her life. Beth was released in 2010 under federal parole and is married now and a mother and she started law school in 2014. So they both just got slaps on the wrist. Yeah, basically for killing their mother. And I read this thing that was like, oh yeah, because there was this whole debate. Oh, I'll, okay. The girls uh, were the first sisters in Canadian history to murder their mother. And because, really? yeah, because it doesn't seem right. The first sisters? What Canadian sisters do you know of that murdered their mother? Well, I'm just saying of all Canadian history, no sisters have murdered their mother before 2005? 2003. Three? I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't know anything about that Canadian history. I don't know. <laughs> okay, and because of Canadian law, all the names have been changed since the girls were teens at the time of the murder, and their real names mm. will never be released. So they're worried about protecting their identities. Oh, Canada so, is so lax. It's like, you know, Carla Homolka is out there. Right. Married. Right. We're like, ugh, what the fuck? So I read this thing that said, um, the, the young, like, this person wrote up this whole thing about, like, juvenile offenders and how rehabilitation should be, mm-hmm. like, the key, that he was, like, really happy that Beth was going into law because her, because she would probably have, like, 
she has like experience on the other side of it. But he said she might have trouble because one of the like tenets of becoming a lawyer is you have to be a good person or something. So it's like, well, ooh, she has kind of like a shady past. And then I read like this other article that was saying about the protecting of names and how a lot of countries do it. Mm-hmm. Even for, like, extremely heinous crimes where people want that person's name out there so that they know for future protection because they're probably going to get out. And also to, like, hold them accountable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they're able to kill their mother at such a young age. Mm -hmm. And nobody will know. They're, yeah, they're already proven to be diabolical. Yeah. And it sounds like they're kind of sociopathic. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess it could be teenage hormones, but these bitches sound crazy. <laughs> so, don't leave me hanging. Did they get their Euro trip? <laughs> I don't know if the one's a lawyer and the other's an engineer. Maybe they could afford it on their own. Seriously. I mean, come on. Jeez. Jeez. So, this, they're referred to as the bathtub girls, and you can find stuff about them <laughs> everywhere. The bathtub girls. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess there was, like, a book and a movie with some, like... I think the the girl from Little Miss Sunshine played one of the sisters in the movie. Oh. I think it was her. I recognize the name, but she... I couldn't couldn't quite... Abigail or something? I think that's the girl. I think so. Dude. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. I know! Huh. Yeah. Well... Crazy, right? It boggles my mind that... Like, the amount of, the amount of, like, thought that went into the murder, the, the amount of people that knew about it, yeah. the way that it was done, and then the, lit- the, the limited punishment that they got. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they had a trial. So, I guess if you're gonna go, like three or four years. gonna go murder someone, do it in Canada, because they'll just slap you on the wrist and then tell you just don't do it again. Well, also as a teenager. And you can also get a full education after. Yeah! <laughs> what the hell? I read somewhere that one of them got, like, a scholarship. Oh! And I was like, what? Um, I can't get a scholarship, and I never well, murdered anyone. You didn't apply the for the, the murder... The Did murder you murder mo- your mother? Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, I don't write us a Write us a five-page essay about <sighs> how you murdered your mother and why... It, why... What about it would make you a good student mm-hmm. in our school, mm-hmm. how it's taught you how to be studious and oh, to plan, yes. how the planning yeah. and how hard work. And also how to not get caught next time. How to not get caught next time, yeah. Yeah, damn, another scholarship I don't qualify for. Shitty, <laughs> shitty, we gotta move to Canada. I guess so. Yeah, so. Well, that's tight. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> It's so crazy. It's so crazy. And the fact that, like, they got their mother all fucked up, and then they're, like, talking to their friends, like, oh, we're going to kill her now. And they're like, yeah, good luck. Woo, let's go to Europe. Have fun. So you were saying that, like, the older, the younger one had the diagnosis. Did the older one have any kind of diagnosis at all? Or, like... Well, the older one was the one I read the quote from. So it sure as hell sounds like she's diagnosable, but I didn't see. Because, um, for, for whatever reason... I think probably because the older one got out a year earlier than the dad was trying to get the younger one out. And so then she was being like, they sent in a, a counselor to be like, oh, is she, can you, she be rehabilitated? And the counselor was like, this bitch is like out of her mind. She's 
she's got like an antisocial personality um, disorder like probably not (laughs) also dad do you think you want to take home these girls that just killed their mother Mm -hmm. i'm not sure that you'd be too far off their list of annoyances in their life so it brings to question like the rehabilitation thing which yeah it's like super important and i guess if they don't reoffend again at the same time like if they are you know psychopathic they could be hurting people in their lives still if the one is so manipulative, like, she's probably manipulating her children and her husband oh, and yeah. just, like, starting that cycle all over again. I don't know. Or maybe, or maybe they're, like, completely fine now. Like, their hormones leveled out and they're great members of society. Could you imagine, like, now at, at, the, at our ages being, like, remember when we were, like, 15 and 16? And we 16, murdered our mom? And we murdered our, We were such silly kids. Wasn't that ridiculous? Remember, oh, high school. <laughs> We were just, like, so full of hormones and just couldn't contain ourselves. We just had to oopsie drown our mom. Yeah. Good thing we got out of prison when we were, like, 18. It's a really good thing we grew up and now we're lawyers and engineers. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, it just... The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. The tossed salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the tossed salad has more components. The person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus. They're disorganized. So, definitely, yeah, I'd say definitely tossed salads. Man, those salads were tossed early on because what the fuck? And I would say no bit of scrambled egg. They seem very smart. So diabolical. And manipulative and, like, They would have gotten away with it. 15 and 16. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been the perfect crime. Seriously. Like, their mom was known to have substance abuse problems and she drowned in a bathtub, which I feel like that's pretty common. Yeah, and mostly it wouldn't have been... It wouldn't have been, like, checked in on. No, like, it's, like, open and shut. She yeah. was inebriated. She slipped in the tub and drowned. Like, yeah, how many or people she fell do asleep that? in the tub. Like, drunk, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Wow. All right, well, that was, that was a crazy case. I know. And I can't believe I've never heard of it when apparently it's, like, a big thing. Or maybe it was, like, really big in Canada. So I was kind of like, oh, I started looking into it, and I was like, what the fuck? And then they were like, oh, in the movie, in the book. And I was like, oh, this is probably, like, really popular. I don't want to do one that's, like, really popular. But I was like, this is too fucking interesting, and I've never heard of it. So I've got to. Oh. Well, I feel like we missed out in high school. We didn't take that murder class while we were... Yeah, well, I think it's, like, a homeschool kind of a thing. They, like, self-educated. Oh, but it's, like, okay, if you're, like, so embarrassed by your mom, why don't you move in with your dad? Yeah, you don't know what the custody thing was. Like, I if don't. he wasn't allowed to have them or something. But I feel like there are other I feel like there are other options. Like, murder your mom should be pretty far down on the list if it even makes the list. Okay. All right, so you may hear laughter of children outside. I don't know that was so necessary, but okay. (laughs) We'll just be quiet when they're Okay, we'll just edit it out. Yeah. Alright. You ready? I am ready because you wouldn't tell me 
anything about mm, it. Mm, 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 mm. All right, so I got this information from Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and a wonderful article from the Sacktown Mag. <gasps> Sack local? <laughs> I probably do know it then. Okay. <laughs> you do. Okay. okay. I'm just going to start off. Is it a off. big one? Oh, you're not. <laughs> what? You're not even going to say who it is? No. <sighs> okay. I'm just going to start off. Okay. All right. Because oh, you're going to know nervous. within the first, like, okay. three words, I think. Okay. All right. She was born Dorothea Helen... <gasps> she was born Dorothea Helen Gray. I went to that bitch's house. Dorothea Helen Gray on January 9th, 1929, the sixth of seven children in Redlands, California. Jesus. To Trudy May and Jesse James Gray. Both her parents were alcoholics. Hold up. Trudy May and Jesse James. Trudy May and Jesse James. Classic. Mm-hmm. Alcoholics. 1929. Yeah. Like alcoholic parents. Yeah. Themes. Yeah, yeah exactly. What? Exactly. Okay. okay. Her mother was a sex worker and her father attempted suicide in front of her. Oh, God. Her father died of tuberculosis in 1937 when she was eight. Oh. And her mother died in a car accident the following year. Oh, my God. Young Dorothea found herself handed off to a series of relatives in foster homes bouncing between Napa and Los Angeles. Court records uh, uh, court records reveal that she was then sent to an orphanage at some point where she was sexually abused. Oh, God. In 1945, Gray was married for the first time at the age of 16. This is a really rough start. I didn't know a lot of this about I didn't her. know that either. Um, to a soldier named Fred McFall, who was 20 when she was 16. Ew, gross. Uh, who had just returned from the Pacific Theater of World War II. Gray had two daughters between 1946 and 1948. Public documents suggested she inherited her mother's aversion in child-rearing as she sent one to live with relatives in Sacramento and placed the other up for adoption. That's a thing? Aversion in child-rearing? You know, just not too into having the children around, so she got oh, no. kind of got rid of them. And then she became pregnant again in 1948, oh, no. but suffered a miscarriage. Oh. Probably for the best. Probably for the best. In late 1948, McFall left her. When the couple were married in... What? Oh, sorry. I meant to put this somewhere else, but... Uh, <laughs> it when, happened. When they got married in Reno... She, they like lied. Okay, so okay. So one 16. of the so one of the reasons that he ended up divorcing her was because he found out that she was lying about basically everything. Oh. He didn't know she was sixteen. I guess when they got married in Reno, she told him that she was thirty. No. And she and when they got married, she called herself Sh- Sherry Ali Riskelli. Sherry. S H E R R I A L E. Shirley. Shirley Riscoli. Shirley Riscoli. Shirley Riscoli, and that's on the their marriage certificate. Okay. That was her name. But I'm gonna call bullshit on thinking a 16 year old is 30. Well, for sure that. And also, he's 20. I'm not sure that he. I'm not sure that she told him that she was 30. But she told the people that she at the marriage registry that I she was thirty. I just feel like that is such a big lie. Like say eighteen, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Why go like? like wow, full you're a course. good thirty. Wow, man, you're aging well. Mm, Staying out of that sunshine. <laughs> 
Oh, speaking oh, of speaking serum. Of, <laughs> speaking of serum. Check out Humblebee Herbals Royal Bee Serum. It's great for your face. It'll make you look 16 when you're 40. <laughs> no one will ever think you're 30 when you're 16. Wait. No one will ever think you're... you're Everyone will think you're Everyone 16 when you're 30. Yeah. <laughs> it's got all kinds of really good natural oils that help with balancing your skin oils and with regenerating skin cells. And it's just got a lot of really good stuff in there. Humble. And it's lightly scented with just a touch of rose, which is Hint quite lovely. Check them out at humblebeeherbal.com. That's humblebeeherbal.com. <laughs> anyway, that <was> a disaster. <laughs> I guess ad libbing's not my strong right. suit. <laughs> Neither is being on the spot. Gotta take some improv classes. I would not. Oh my god, I would hate improv classes. Oh, it's fun. Isn't it awkward and uncomfortable? You just gotta like break through that, and then it's fun. The the thing the thing I know about improv is the yes and yes and. And I feel like in Arrested Development, I feel like Tobias does it sometimes. Where he's like yes. And, and he's, oh my god, that's my favorite. <laughs> okay, anyway, sorry. Yeah, because he's an actor. Mm. Um, blah, blah, blah. I do yes and because you're not supposed to say but. Instead, you're supposed to say and because if you say but, people stop listening. Or but, it's like a uh, negative thing. And, but if you say yes and. And you're going to add something to it. Also, yeah, exactly. It's mm. like one of those self-helpy things. And <laughs> yes, and not only. Uh, so McFowl, yeah. So I already said that he found out that she was a liar. That is serious lying. Uh, when she was young, she li lied to make herself seem more interesting, and it was a habit that stuck with her for life. Pathological lying. For example. Oh, good. In uh, in the Sack B magazine interview that I read, so this woman. She went to whatever prison. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Whatever <laughs> prison Dorothea was in, uh, she went there and visited her like numerous times and had conversations with her. And so she wrote up this Can huge... Can you imagine? She wrote up this huge article. <gasps> that is amazing. So um, one of the examples that Dorothea told this woman that's right in the article was that, um, according to Dorothea, the story goes... While shopping at a department store called the Emporium in San Francisco in 1948, at 19 years old, she felt a tap on her shoulder. Oh, God. A man identifying himself as a talent scout for the Radio City Rockettes, the famed New York City dance troupe, sized her up and on the spot invited her to fly east for an audition. Despite... So he just looked at her and was like, you look like a dancer. You look like you Didn't know that she could dance or anything. This is very plausible. Yes, I believe it. Despite lacking formal dance training, <laughs> she says, I went out there and they hired me. Of course they did. So after that, I was in New York on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and then I'd come back to California the rest of the week. Oh my god. She was just naturally talented. Naturally. Known at the time as Dorothea McFall, the last name of her first husband, whom she had recently divorced, she performed... Oh, she went back to Dorothea. Dorothea was always her first name. No, but it was Cheryl Lee. Oh, on the marriage certificate, yeah. How do you pull that off, though? I guess, like, like IDing back in the day was a little iffy. You could just, like, scratch up no, an ID on cardboard and be but like, But after you're married, not... be like, oh, you can call me Dorothea now. No, I don't. I think that she told him that her name was Dorothea. I think that on the marriage certificate, she said that her name was Cheryl Lee. Like, 
I don't know. Okay. She likes to spin a, a tail. I feel like when you're marrying someone and they're putting a different name on the marriage certificate, that's kind of a red flag. It's all red flag. I mean, you'd have to know, first of all, like, right, you're not 30, I'm marrying you, and your name is not Cherylee. What'd she look like when she was younger? A white woman. Was she cute? I don't know that I actually saw any pictures of her. She performed at, on stage as Sharon Nayarda. Uh, she likes those <laughs> shush shush names. Shush shush shush. Sh. Also, pick a better stage name, right? I mean, if you if at that point you can just pick anything, pick right? Something better, like something easy for to Sharon Nayarda. <laughs> she balanced her dance career with a second job as a cook at a San Francisco seafood restaurant. This is all in her. This According is all her, to her, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. okay. Um, so like half the time she was in New York dancing, and half the time she was a cook she, in she, California. In a seafood restaurant. Yep. Okay. Shuttling between coasts until her dance career came to a sudden end in 1957. She says, I was on stage when the girl next to me broke her heel and bumped into me. Bitch. We, we both fell into the orchestra pit and I broke my leg. The other dancer, <laughs> she was paralyzed. From a broken heel? Like the heel on her shoe broke. Oh, and I then she like, like tripped and heel. bumped into. No, she like. Oh. Was dancing, her heel broke, she tripped, fell into Dorothea, they both stumbled into the orchestra pit, Dorothea broke, broke her leg, leg, the other was paralyzed, paralyzed. forever. Forever. Um, and Tragic. then the, the woman who wrote the reports uh, looked, or not the reports, the column, she wrote that she had looked up, did some, did some research and it said, the Rockettes Alumni Association has no record of someone named either Sharon Nayarda or Dorothea McFell performing with the company nor shocking nor of two dancers tumbling into an orchestra pit which i feel like that'd be big news <laughs> so shocking also did someone just walk up to her and they're like you look like a seafood chef have you ever thought about ah, cooking up some crabs the way that you're holding that purse really says like that you could hold Come a into ladle our restaurant and interview for this job it'd be perfect perfect um dorothea moved to San Bernardino and picked up her first criminal conviction. So what was she doing during that time? Who knows? Right? She has all. She, yeah, like basically everything out of her mouth is potentially a lie. When did she get divorced? The first time. Yeah, the first time. Uh, forty-eight, I believe. So this was during her like marriage that she's saying she was doing all this stuff. No, in 1948 was when she got discovered. So like they got divorced. In 49, no. No, in 48, he, he divorced her. Oh, and then she and was then discovered. And then she was discovered, Oh, yeah. stroke of luck. Yeah, yeah, so. To end tragically, of course. Well, I mean, at least she only broke her leg. She wasn't, <laughs> wasn't paralyzed. paralyzed. I mean, it serves her right for breaking her heel while dancing I mean, anyway. if you take a nosedive into an orchestra pit. <laughs> they didn't say what happened to the orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> the flautist broke a nail. Oh, no. Dorothea moved back. Mo Dorothea moved to San Bernardino and picked up her first criminal conviction after trying to float a check under a false name. Gray was sentenced to a year in jail for forging checks. Mm. She was paroled after six months. By 1952, she moved to San Francisco and became pregnant by a man she barely knew. Oh, this girl is getting pregnant left and right. Shit. She gave birth to a daughter whom she placed up for adoption. Oh. In 1952, same year, uh... So she married a Swede named Axel Johansson. 
See, now that's a good stage that name. That is a good stage name, <laughs> Axel. The couple moved to Sacramento a short time later and lived in the city off and on for the next decade. Frequent quarrels and separations marred the marriage with much of the discord brought on by Dorothea's appetite for drinking, gambling, and other men. Woo! She sounds fun. I know. I was like, I love her. <laughs> okay, uh, except for the lying. I mean, she just sounds like someone that would always be a good story. Like, you'll never oh. guess what Dorothea told me yeah, today. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. But that would get old pretty quickly, I think. As long as you don't have to be directly involved. If you're not, like, if you're just, like, her neighbor, or, you know, like, someone that you're just like, oh, I pick up, st- I don't know. Yeah, no. Entertaining. Run into her on the street, like, hey, well, what's she, up, she, was, she hung out, she was basically a bar fly, too. She hung out in, like, the local bars a mm, lot. So mm-hmm. you could probably find her at the bar, and she'd tell you a, t- oh a tale. Oh, God. She's like, uh-huh. let me tell you about the time that I was a marine biologist, <laughs> and I saved a shark who only had one fin. Ah, uh, yeah, I had to breathe for him. The other marine biologist became paralyzed, but I yes. only lost an arm. Yes. <laughs> one arm, but that shark survived. And look, they sewed it back on it works just fine now it's backwards but it's fine actually i was my own surgeon and i, I set it on myself and it underwater healed while i was diving i had to like get it out of the shark first yeah yes basically i believe it um the court files indicate johansson had his wife committed to a psychiatric ward in 1961 and doctors placed her on antipsychotics whoa well was she psychotic, or she was just, like, a pathological liar who had addiction issues? I don't know, because, okay, seeing, like, watching the interview, I watched interviews with her. <gasps> what? Like, in, like, when they first brought her in for the, all, what, yeah, what's yeah, gonna happen yeah. later, and, like, every, like, she seems like, when she talks, yeah, she's like, I don't understand why I'm here, like, obviously I didn't do anything wrong, like go ahead and dig up my yard like I don't care because I, I just want to get this cleared up because this is this is ridiculous that I'm here so either she's a really good actress or she's like not connecting mm-hmm. she's like very good at compartmentalizing <gasps> whoa so yeah so in the, uh, <laughs> oh, in, in the 1960s the Sacramento police busted Dorothea in a raid on a residential house of ill fame on Fulton <laughs> Avenue <gasps> What? That had fronted as a bookkeeping service. Did you have the address? Uh, no. Oh. Um, according to court records, an undercover cop posing as a trucker arrested her after she offered to perform fellatio on <gasps> him. Dorothea! She served 90 days in county lockup. Wow. In the Sacramento County Jail. After her release, she was arrested again, this time for vagrancy and sentenced to another 90 days in jail. Okay, I could see that she does have something going on, because if she's getting arrested this much, it's definitely causing her issues, so it's got to be some kind of disorder or something happening. Yeah, so, and she was working as a prostitute at this... A sex worker. uh, Sorry, she was working as a sex worker at this, uh... uh, House of Ill Fame. Right. (laughs) And, um... But, like, when you ask her, she's like, "I, I didn't even know it was... It was a, a prostitution house or a house of ill fame or whatever yeah. they called it back in the day. She was like, I just went there to meet someone for lunch, and then the cops came in and oh, raided it. Of course, of course. So, like, I didn't even know. What a know. coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, to her, she didn't ask, she didn't say that she You know what? Born. And to speak, like, I do want to say that it's probably really good that she gave up her children. Uh-huh. That was, like, really something remarkable on her part like good for you girl because not to, destroying to not put them through that yeah not that i mean i really shouldn't be singing her praises here but 
on a whole nother level, like, thank God those kids did not grow up with her. Well, you know, how we were talking earlier about the, all, looking at all the female murderers and half of them just kill their kids anyway, so. Right. Yeah, they're lucky that they got Or out. they just, like, traumatize them so badly. Yep. Um, blah, blah, blah. Following that, Gray became, began a criminal career that over time became more serious. She found work as a nurse's aide. How? Caring for disabled and elderly people in private homes. In a short time, she started managing boarding houses. She must have been so good at lying. Yeah. For people and, to trust her in their also, own homes. she's this, like, lady, like, she's a small, like, little, l- little like, lady, and, like, as, as the years go on when she's, like, older, you know, then people are like, oh, she's just this little old lady. Yeah. Like, there's, you know. Well, non-threatening. non she's Yeah, fine. she's not, like, some scary guy that got out of jail. She's this little lady. And who, the way she told it, she was just having lunch with someone. Yeah, so. she didn't know. I, I'm sure all of her rests were just misunderstandings. <laughs> Um, in 1966, Gray divorced Johansson. She divorced him? Mm-hmm. Oh, girl. I think because, I mean, he sent her away to the mental... Well, yeah, and place. it sounds like their relationship was super rocky anyway. Mm-hmm. I wonder but if those antipsychotics work. Fear not, because in 1968, she married Roberto Puente in Mexico City. And settled in Sacramento at 39. I wonder what the draw was to Sacramento. She was 16 years older than Roberto Puente. Hey, what? I'm not a fan of age gaps. But also, it was uh, it was uh, thought that they got married for he wanted a green card. Oh yeah. And um, it says Roberto Puente, a Mexican emigre whose interest in in his heavyset bride concerned money and American citizenship, as chronicled in Disturbed Ground, a 1994 book about the Puente murder case. What's the point of saying heavyset bride? You prefer they say heavyset broad? Why they they gotta bring the weight into it? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) It's so rude. So rude. Don't worry, the marriage only lasted two years. Mm. Shortly after it ended... Dorothea Puente took over a three-story, 16-bedroom care care home. There at, is no way that house has 16 bedrooms. At 2100 F Street in Sacramento. The house is small. And, Did they, like, tear half of it down? Like, there's no, no way. Um, and, in violation of her federal probation, opened it as a boarding house. <laughs> Oh, because before, when she was, like, forging checks, yeah, she was forging, she would go to, like, bars and meet, like, old people and then, like, start forging checks on, on their names or whatever, so wow. then they told her that part of her probation, she wasn't allowed to be around the elderly. And, well, and like, also she was going into, whatever. like, older people's homes. And caring for, yeah. And probably stealing their money, too. Yeah. <gasps> wow. Um, <laughs> the unlicensed venture thrived from the start. Oh, she's just an entrepreneur. She parlayed its success by pumping money into political campaigns and charitable what? causes. So Smart. then, yes. Oh so my then, God. all the people around the businesses, like the all the higher ups, mm-hmm. had her back mm-hmm. and pumped money into political campaigns and charitable causes. Contributions that brought her the appearance. You know of, what? She would have been such a successful politician. Yes. Yes. Wow. Because <laughs> this brought up her appearance of of legitimacy and and. Hi, Toby. Hi. Hi. I hope that we caught your meow so that your 
memorialized forever. What do you say? Sure. He'll go down and. So she had so because of that she had access to elite circles and stuff. Yeah, for sure. She's given them money. And she cultivated a strong rapport with social workers. And they, they, the thing is, they prized her willingness to accept alcoholics, drug addicts, and other difficult clients into her home. Yeah. Because a lot of them would be thrown out in the street, and a lot of places wouldn't take them. So whenever they had a client, they'd be like, "Oh, okay. Well, no one else can take you. She'll take you. She's like this wonderful." little old woman yeah go stay with her she she's doing a public service yeah and because a lot of because because they're like a lot of the people that went there like for a while they were doing better because she would make sure they were getting their medicine she would make sure that they were like doing the right stuff they had somewhere to live a safe place to go Mm -hmm. because she she had taken in a, a couple like mentally ill people too that had like alcohol problems so then she and because of her like they were taking their medication and being able to like wow do stuff and then also they, you know, then they were kind of like, they didn't have anywhere else to go to, so they were kind of indebted, not indebted, but like, you know, they're like, oh, well, she took care of me, so yeah. I, I owe her, like, I'll help her. Yeah, of course. So. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah. Um, federal probation officers visited her numerous times in the next two years without suspecting she ran a business. Okay, here's the thing. That house is so fucking small, there's no way that there are 16 rooms in there, so they probably just went to, like, whatever level she was living on, and it looked like a normal house. Um, yeah, it says that, lulled by her kindly facade and clean home as much as by her lies that those staying at the house were friends or guests. Oh. <laughs> no, this is, like, 16 of my closest friends. Yeah, fr- friends and family. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this heavyset woman sure is popular. <laughs> Fuente's reputation at the F Street boarding house was mixed. Some, ten- some tenants resented her stinginess and complained that she refused to give them their mail or money. Oh, what? Because she would oh, take in all the security checks. She and would stuff? take in all the money, mm. and then what she would do is she would be like, "Well, I'm gonna because obviously you have a problem with alcohol, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna give you an allowance." Yeah, I'll control the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she would read any mail that came in from, like, family and stuff. She would read it Whoa. and then decide if she was going to give it to them or not. Whoa! And she was writing with family as if she was the, uh, the <gasps> sick people, too. Ooh. Yeah. She is, like, on but, a whole nother level. But, you know, level. others praised her for her small acts of kindness or for her generosity and her homemade meals. She would make sure she would make sure they all got three square meals a day, and that's a lot of food to cook for sixteen people. Yeah, but or she's getting all their social security her. checks. Yeah, but how much money is that? Enough, plenty. Wow. Um. And Puente got married for the fourth time in 1976 to Pedro Montalvo, who was a violent alcoholic. Oh God! This marriage lasted only a few months. Oh good. And Puente started to spend time in local bars looking for older men. Who were receiving benefits. Puente forged their signatures to steal their money. She was caught and charged with 34 counts of treasury fraud. Whoa. For which she received probation. Whoa. While on probation, she continued to commit the same fraud. Whoa. <laughs> According to the California Court of Appeals records in 1981, Puente began renting an upstairs the upstairs apartment at 1426 F Street downtown, which is ju- the apartment just above the 2100 F Street. You're saying there are over 16 rooms in the bottom half? Allegedly. No, that it can't be. 
They must have torn down the house or something. It they cannot didn't. be the same house. Because the thing is, they cannot tear down that house because it's preserved in the uh, historical old homes. Well, it's They're beautiful, but it's not that. It's tiny. It's so small. I have no idea. Some say, like, a dozen rooms. Some say 16. But I don't know if it was just, like, that many people. Like, if they doubled up in rooms. She must have, like, six bunk beds in each. Like, <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. In April of 1982, 61-year-old Ruth Monroe began living with Puente upstairs in her upstairs apartment at the 1468 F Street, and she went into business with Puente, leasing and running a restaurant side of the corner of the Round Corner Tavern in Midtown. Oh, cool! Which I don't know that that still exists. The next spring, with her husband hospitalized by terminal cancer, the 61-year-old Monroe moved in with Puente to save money. Within two weeks, Monroe Monroe fell ill, her body so weak she struggled to stand. She soon died from an overdose of codeine and Tylenol. (gasps) Uh Uh-huh. Coincidence! Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Samesies. Overlapping. And both women. Uh. Puente told police that the woman was very depressed because her husband was terminally ill. They believed her and no. judged the incident a suicide. No. Her family suspected Puente of her family suspected Puente of poisoning her. Yeah, of course. She was like having a she had a business, she had a husband that she was taking care of. And she wasn't sick at all until she <sighs> moved in there. And yeah. died two weeks later. So suspicious. Their theory hardened into subjective truth when they discovered that following the funeral, the quote unquote nurse had drained thousands of dollars belonging to Monroe from a joint business account. They, they appeal to authorities to re-examine their mother's death, a probe that ended with investigators upholding the suicide ruling. Whoa. Because they were in her pocket. Probably. Wow. Only a few weeks later, the police were back after a 74-year-old pensioner named Malcolm McKenzie. Um, Malcolm McKenzie accused Puente of drugging him and then robbing him. <gasps> She, Whoa. she was convicted of three charges of theft on August 18th, 1982, and sentenced to serve five years in jail. A state psychologist who evaluated Puente before her release from prison in 1985 diagnosed her as schizophrenic. I don't... Um, I feel like said, in the 80s, schizophrenia was, like, not what it is known to be today. It doesn't sound like she has schizophrenia. No, I, I don't think it sounds like that either. It sounds either. more like a personality Bo- disorder. Or something, yeah. Because he said, this woman is is a disturbed woman who does not appear to have remorse or regret for what yeah, she has like done. Yeah, it's like antisocial. Yeah. He wrote, she is to be considered dangerous, and her living yeah. environment and or employment should be closely monitored. While in jail, she started to correspond with a 77-year-old retiree living, oh, no. living in Oregon named Everson Gilmuth. Everson Gilmuth? <laughs> I don't know why. It's like the like, cute little old man name. It's like so unique, and yeah, it's like such an old man name. A pen pal friendship developed, and when Puente was released in 1985 after serving just three years of her sentence, he was waiting for her in... Oh, no, in Everson. A, in a red 1980 Ford pickup. Their relationship developed quickly, and the couple was soon making wedding plans. Wow. They opened a joint bank account. Of course. That's the first thing you always do when you get in a relationship. And they paid a $600 a month rent for upstairs apartment at her place, which... I, okay, so I think 
her nephew owned the house and she was paying him like money to pay the mortgage off or whatever. Uh huh. So she had to pay rent as well as in her. the eighties, six hundred dollars sounds like a lot. I mean, I guess it was like a mansion, apparently. A mansion. Even though it apparently isn't. Um, in November of eighty-five, Puente hired Is- Ismael Flores to install some wood paneling in her apartment for his labor and and an additional eight hundred dollars. She also gave him a red nineteen eighty Ford <gasps> pickup. Oh, no. In good condition, oh, which no. she said belonged to her boyfriend in Los Angeles, who did not need it. Oh, no. Uh, Dorothea Puente then asked Flores to do one more thing. Build a box. Six feet by three feet by two feet. Uh, Sounds like a coffin. Well, she said it was just to store her books in. Very specific. Books and other things in. Look, I've measured all my books. They need this much space exactly. But then after telling him that they were for books and other items, she then asked Flores to transport the filled and nailed shut box to a storage depot. Flores agreed, and Puente joined him. On the way, however, she told him to stop, and while they were on Garden Highway in <gasps> Sutter County, they she just told him to dump the box in the river. <laughs> uh, you know what? On second thought, I don't need these books anymore. <laughs> I know I had to specifically build this box to store my beloved belongings, but oh, let's God. just pull over and dump them here. After I carefully nailed them all into this box. Puzzled, Flores questioned why. Oh, but, good for him. But Puente told him that the con- contents of the box were just junk. Yeah, let's dump all our garbage <laughs> into the river. It's fine. On January 1st, 1986, a fisherman spotted the box. Yeah, of course. <laughs> sitting about three feet from the bank of the river and informed police. Investigators found a badly decomposed and unidentical oh. bo- unidentified body of an elderly man inside. That's awful. Puente, meanwhile, continued to collect Everson Gilmuth's pension and wrote letters to his family, explaining that the reason he had not contacting the reason he had not contacted them was because he was ill. She ma- she maintained a room and board business, taking in forty new tenants. How? <laughs> Gilmuth's body remained identified for three years. They must have all been sleeping on top of each other. Puente continued to accept elderly tenants and was popular with social workers because she would accept tough cases. Like I said, she collected tenants' monthly mail before they saw it and paid them stipends, pocketing the rest for expenses. Mm -hmm. During this period, parole agents went and visited Puente, who had been ordered to stay away from the elderly and refrain from handling government checks. (laughs) Which Uh, is exactly what she's doing. They visited a minimum of 15 times. No violations were ever noted. How? (laughs) So this is like the opposite of a lot of times when the police don't even, they're not even involved or probation officers aren't even involved. They're like doing their job, but somehow they're not seeing the obvious. But, you know, could be because she was paying paying out politicians and stuff. Yeah, but you could also ask the tenants and be like, well, half hey, of them do you are, live here? Half of them are drug addict alcoholics that would be on the street anyway, so they're not going to take their word over this woman who's housing them. Yeah, but if you're like, hey, do you live here? They could be like, yeah. They do. But, but no, be like, because she would tell them to lie. Like, they, they all knew to, <sighs> to lie. So she's just taking because otherwise, if you of, don't like, lie, people. yeah, because if you don't lie, you're gonna be out on the street. Oh my god, I'm which will be safer you. there. I'm giving you three meals a day and a roof over your head. I'm just taking your money. 
Well, for the and most part, most worse. of the most of the tenants that came and gone, like came and went, just fine. Wow. So. Okay. The first sign of something. <laughs> Finally. The, the first sign of something wrong. Was when neighbors noticed odd activities of a homeless alcoholic man known only as Chief, whom Puente stated she had adopted and made her handyman. Puente had, te- had Chief dig in the basement and cart soil and rubbish away in a wheelbarrow. This is so crazy because during this time, mom and dad like live just <laughs> down the block, basically, yeah. from all this happening. <laughs> Like, I always, I don't know why I never put it together that this was happening in the 80s. Yeah. Oh, it just seems like it <laughs> happened so long ago. <gasps> okay. Puente had Chief dig in the basement and cart soil and rubbish away in a wheelbarrow. The basement floor was then covered in a concrete slab. Chief later took down a garage in the backyard and installed a fresh concrete slab there as well. Soon afterwards, Chief mysteriously disappeared. Oh, no. In May 1988, when neighbors complained of a sickly sweet smell in her yard, Puente blamed the aroma on a couple things. She said sometimes she told some neighbors that the sewer was backed up. Ew. Why would that be sweet? <laughs> I don't know. Other times she blamed rats rotting under the floorboards. Ew, what? <laughs> or applications of fish emulsion as fertilizer. Ew. <laughs> what? These are all bad smells. We couldn't stand it, one resident recalled. There was a sick smell in the air, and there were a lot Ew. of flies in the area. <laughs> During the summer, because you know how fucking hot it gets yeah, in the summer. Yeah, so fucking hot. During the summer, it got so bad that some neighbors preferred to turn off their air conditioners <gasps> and suffer the blazing Delta heat rather than have the fans suck the stench into their homes. That's bad. That's bad. <laughs> That's so bad. It's like a hundred and four degrees and they're like we don't need it we don't need the air conditioner it's fine because literally in sacramento people that don't have air conditioners have died in yeah, the summer it's so fucking hot boiled to death in their own body Ugh. speaking of boiled no, <laughs> <laughs> on november 11th 1988 police inquired after the disappearance of tenant alberto montoya a developmentally disabled man with schizophrenia oh, no. who's so whose social worker had reported missing. Dorothea stuck to her story that he had left for Utah after a trip to Mexico and agreed to let her three visitors search the, the two-story house. When they finished without noticing anything suspicious, one of the officers asked if they could dig in her yard. Wow. I wonder... And they even told her, like, like they were like, can we dig in your yard? And she, was, and she consented. She was like, sure. And I wonder then, why they even asked. Um, I think that they noticed some disturbed soil on the property, and they were just like, it smells back, like, people were complaining of smell, might as well just dig a little bit. Wow. And she told them, sure. She was like, go for it, dig. And she even lent them a shovel. Do you think that she'd been lying so much that she just started to believe her own lies? Like, she could convince herself that everything was fine? It could be. Okay, so they started digging, and when they got about three, two feet down, they noticed what the, they, they thought there were tree roots, because there was a big tree in her yard. Yeah. And so there was like a tree root coming through, so one of the officers got down in the hole and mm. grabbed onto this no. tree root, and he pulled it, no. and he fell back, and it was part of someone's leg. No! 
and the, he didn't recognize it because he said that the the skin like looked it looked like like there was still like fabric almost on it uh-huh. and the skin was like so like it almost looked like beef jerky like oh, just so like no dry and he he said he didn't even recognize it it's as a leg it's a dry heat in Sacramento yeah he didn't even oh. recognize it as a leg until he had, like pulled it out and saw like the end of the bone oh my god I'm gonna vomit that is so awful also two feet of dirt is not enough dirt. Dorothea, and well, but deeper. so here's the thing too, like, because they were saying in this document or not in this thing Ugh, that I was I'm watching, sorry, I can't. He pulled someone's leg off. Yeah, and they, but they were saying that like because you know, at that time they weren't able like they're digging up the body. They didn't automatically think, oh, she put this body in the ground. Yeah, because they they couldn't tell how old the body was, right. and they were saying like you know a lot of times back in the day when people couldn't afford to do. Like a funeral, they would bury their family members right. in. So well, and also that, Sacramento would always flood, exactly. and bodies would go places they shouldn't be, and, and places just buried that, them like where well, they were. And places that were cemeteries are now middle schools, right? So there's bodies. There are bodies the all over. There's bodies. Yeah. That's... So he said they didn't initially think like, oh my god, she did. Yeah. Like, that this is someone because the body looked so like old, like it didn't look fresh, and they're looking for this guy who had supposedly gone missing like a couple months ago. Right. So they're like, okay, well it's not him. Yeah. So then they. St- they decide they're gonna start digging a little bit more, and when of she course. when she notices that they're going to dig more, she asks the main officer to come talk to her, and then she was like, "Do you, like I'm having like a tough time. Do you mind if I just go down the street to the Clarion Hotel and get a cup of coffee?" Because her nephew worked at the hotel. Uh-huh. She wanted to get out of the house. He didn't know that she, you know, he just was like, we just found a body, whatever. Yeah. We don't know that it's her. Well, also, Obviously, if it's not her, it could be very traumatic that there's, like, a body in your backyard. Yeah, and this yeah, is not a fresh body. Air. And we were, we were looking for a fresh body. Right. So he let her her and her, oh. one of the guys that was a tenant, go down to the Clarion Hotel. Is um, there still a Clarion Hotel? I don't know if it's still there, but that company still exists, I think. Oh. Um, the human leg bone turned out to be uh, the body of a tenant named Leona Carpenter, who was um, 78. Leona. Seven bodies were eventually found on the property. Wow. Fuente was charged with a total of nine murders. Wow. Because the other body, Everson. Yeah. And then uh, the... The woman. The woman, Shopkeeper. Yeah. So... Restaurant owners. Puente's boyfriend, Everson Gilmeth, er, 77, and eight tenants who lived at the boarding house, Ruth Monroe, 61, Leona Carpenter, 78, Alvaro, went by Bert or Alberto, Gonzalez Montoya, 51, Dorothy Miller, 64. These people aren't even old. Benjamin Fink, 55, James Gallup, 62, Vera Faye Martin, 64, and Betty Palmer, 78. Uh, yeah. Pe- so people that knew Dorothea described her as a woman of contradictions. Some praised the soft-hearted landlady who cooked big meals for her low-income tenants, handed out vegetables from her garden to neighbors, and adopted stray cats. Others dispar- disparaged the closeted alcoholic who, on occasion, punctuated roof-raising, cuss-filled tirades <laughs> with a piece of furniture heaved down the stairs. Whoa. Some lauded the tireless advocate whose charitable work benefited the Hispanic community. Oh, that was the other thing, because 
So she always claimed that she was Mexican, even though she's not. Because of like, her one husband that she took his name. Yeah, and but apparently she spoke fluent Spanish, oh. and she did she did work with, like a lot of like good work for the Spanish community, like helping like doing the charity stuff that she was doing, whatever. Wow. And so so a lot of them still kind of think like, well, she did help us out. Wow. Um. Others spoke of a calculating criminal who feigned altruism to make to mask her ava- avarice? Ava- avarice? Avarice. What's that mean? Like evilness? Oh. I feigned altruism to mask her avarice and, ho- and a homicidal bent. During the initial investigation, Puente was not immediately suspected. As I said. Okay, yeah, she left to go to the Clarion, buy coffee... And when she was there, when she, so she didn't really, she went to the Clarion and then walked out the other side and hailed a cab and went to L.A. Yeah, of course. <laughs> she holed up in the Royal Viking Motel for the next three days, seldom leaving her room. Go down to Mexico, get the fuck out. <laughs> Not that I'm giving advice to her. <laughs> um, on her fourth day as a fugitive, she dropped by a dive bar because she was just like, I can't. I need to go talk to people. I need... Blanche is an alcoholic. True. She dropped by the dive bar near the hotel, introducing herself as Donna Johansson, a retired carp... Oh, no. No, not a retired... Oh! <laughs> Donna Johansson. <laughs> She's going big this time. <laughs> to a retired carpenter named Charles Wilgus. The two talked through the afternoon, with Wilgus both attracted to and wary of the well-dressed oh, stranger... Wilgus, no. ...who sipped screwdrivers... Don't get drawn in by Donna. She came on a little hard. What I bet with she the, did. What with her questions about his social security <gasps> benefits and abrupt suggestion that they consider living together. Yeah, no, that's not a red flag <laughs> at all. It's totally normal. Shadowed by an inkling that he somehow knew her face. Look, I don't know how things in L.A. work, <laughs> but that seems like a red flag even for L.A. <laughs> So I guess they were, like, drinking, and he was like, oh, her face looks familiar, because I guess by that time her picture was on the Well, yeah, on, she's wanted. Yeah. So so they decided to go their separate ways, and she, he was supposed to go back to her room later or whatever, and while they were their separate ways, he pieced the puzzle together. Good for him. <laughs> later that night, he called the police, and they converged on room number 31 of the Royal Viking Motel. Way to go, Wilgus, or whatever. Puente surrendered quietly. What year was this? 88? Yes, 88. Can you imagine reading the sack B as all this is coming out and just being like, oh, hey, oh, our neighbor, <laughs> they're digging up a yard in Midtown. Oh, my well, God. Well, so I guess there were crowds of people. Oh, for sure. Crowds. There's videos of, because you can, you can watch videos from, like, like from like the police cameras or whatever of, of that time of, like, people yeah, of crowded outside, like outside and doing <gasps> the dig and, like. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, it was probably like the nightly news story. Right, so she wasn't going to get a fair trial in Sacramento, so they had to move it to Monterey well, yeah, County. Clearly. <laughs> the trial began in October of 1992 and ended a year later. The prosecutor, John O'Mara. 92? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's quite a few years. Yeah. The prosecutor, John O'Mara, called over 130 witnesses. He argued to the jury that she had used sleeping pills to put her tenants to sleep, then suffocated them, and hired convicts 
to dig holes in her yard. She worked with this, like, work release program from, like, prisons and stuff to have of people come, like, while they, were, while they were still, like, on their last year of prison to come yeah, back to do stuff. Yeah, she's so altruistic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, the fucked up thing, too, is um, some of the police officers said that the way the bodies were, I don't know what they meant by this, but the way that the bodies were, they think some of them were put in the ground while they were still alive. <gasps> No. And that she had just, like, knocked them out unconscious, like, with the sleeping no. pills. And they weren't fully dead. Like, maybe they had dirt under their nails. Like, they were trying well, to Well, they were out. all wrapped up. They were all bundled up in sheets. And so she had, she would have, like, she would wrap them up in, like, the top sheet, but she'd still have the bottom sheet in her room. So she just had, like, so many so fitted sheets. So she had sheets. half sheets. <laughs> yeah, half sheet sets. Wow. Oh, God, that's so tragic. I know. What a nightmare. The prosecution concluded his closing argument. How did she get the bodies out? That's the thing. She had to have had help. She had to. Because if you see her... Like, a limp body is heavy for anyone. And the way that she was, like, she was doing it, she would have to drag the body. Like, there's a specific room that was, like, the killing room or whatever that she would do it. And it was off the kitchen. So she'd have to drag them through the kitchen, down some stairs, out the back door... Like, she had to have had she help because... She the downstairs? No. Upstairs? Upstairs. Yeah, she, like, yeah. So, all the officer, the mit, the head officer always thought that she had help, but she's never given up anyone and no one's ever said anything. Well, okay, so maybe it was, like, who was the dude who'd hire all the, like, uh, Mexican immigrants to work on his, in his fields and then kill them at the end of the year so we didn't have to pay him. Yeah. Maybe it was something like that where she, she like, ha- had, had yeah, them, she'd have them, them help and then kill them and then have the next one help. And Maybe, but f- I think three... Oh, there were a few women. There were like three or four women. Oh. So it's, and, and the ones that she killed were, were ailing. Like they, yeah. they were, um, I don't want to say on their way out, but like they were sick or whatever, so they wouldn't be, have been. Well, except for the one woman and the boyfriend. Yeah. I don't know. Wow. That's the thing that's like never been tied up. So. Maybe she got help from like people, and then she she could just blackmail them. Oh. Yeah, she had to have had help. Yeah. So the prosecutor concluded his arg- his closing argument by showing a picture commonly used in psychology that can be viewed in different ways. Like one, like I think it's one of, I think it's one of those ones that's like, is it a vase or is it two faces? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he said, um, keep in mind, things are not always as they seem. Oh, Ooh, that's pretty good. It's a very uh, Horatio. Oh, or maybe, or maybe. it's a vase. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's two faces. The jury deliberated over a month and found Puente guilty of three of the murders because it was hard to actually, like, link her, like, prove that she killed them. Yeah. Because, like, some of the toxicology reports, reports, (laughs) toxicology reports came back. And, you know, they saw that they had sleeping pills and Tylenol, but, like, they were also things that they could have been taking normally. Well, if you're a good defense attorney, you could, yeah, Yeah. brush it away. There was, it was a lot of circumstantial evidence and that she's living in this house with all these people and no one saw, said, like, no one said they saw anything. Like, one of the guys that had been living there for, like, three years or something, he was like, he was like, I don't know, like, I never saw no one digging in the backyard. I don't know, like, why they would say, but then also he was like, although, you know, from the first of the month till about the 12th, 
I'm out of commission because I'm an alcoholic. And so that's when I get my money, and then I basically black out for the first two so, weeks. So, interesting. So she could have planned it out by, like, giving them, like, maybe a little more money at the beginning of the month, killed whoever while they're, like, passed out or, like, at a bar or something. <gasps> Whoa. Calculated. Um... The defense called several witnesses that showed Puente had a generous... Someone had to have seen something, though. If that house is, like, full and she's dragging bodies down the stairs, like, from the she's kitchen... definitely like, not doing it herself because she's tiny. That is insane. And those classes... Clauses? Those houses are pretty close together in Midtown. Like, yeah. how is no one seeing this? Right. Right. What the hell? I don't know. Ew, it said that, like, sometimes... She would, like, leave the people that died in the room until, like, they were, like, leaking body fluids. No! And that, like, after, like, when they went back in the house, there was, like, the, because the, they have nice hardwood floors. Yeah, of course. It's so they were just, like, stained with, like, <gasps> bodily fluid, like, Okay, bodily. how is no one smelling that? Oh, my God. Ruining those nice hardwood floors. Uh, the defense called several witnesses that showed Puente had a generous and caring side to her. Witnesses, including her long-lost daughter, testified how Puente wow. how Puente had helped them in their youth and guided them to successful careers. Mental health experts testified of Puente's abusive upbringing and how it motivated her to help the less fortunate. At the same time, they agree she had an evil side, brought on by the stress <laughs> of caring for the, her down-and-out tenants. Well, then don't care for people that you can't care for. <laughs> it's against your fucking probation. You're all supposed to do it anyway. <laughs> Forensic testing had failed to determine a definitive cause of death in any of the victims. Wow. The seven tenants that had lived at 1426 F Street. Well, yeah, because if you just suffocate them with a pillow, how are you going to prove, yeah, how, because also, cause of death? They died a very... Of, <laughs> They died with a variety of drugs in their bodies. Mm -hmm. Anti-convulsants, antidepressants, antipsychotics, painkillers, and tranquilizers. Oh, God. The, one, the lone drug present in all of them was Dalmain, Dolmain, which is a sedative um, for which Puente had obtained more than three dozen prescriptions of 30 pills each between October 1985 and November 1990, sorry, 1988. For herself? I guess. They were, they were prescribed in her name. Wow. She purchased the refills through a pair of doctors who, presumably oblivious to her past of drugging of clients, trusted her stories that she simply wanted to help hoarders, sorry, boarders, wanted to help boarders sleep. Okay, so she's, how do you she's prescribe like, you know, her pills I just to have all someone these, else? I, you know, I just have all these, pay, these if More, I could just the, crush it up into these their pudding and at And they're night. all, like, having a hard time sleeping. What the fuck? Also, those are horrible doctors, because they're not like, okay, well, I need a list of, like, I need to see that person to make sure that the pills they're already taking aren't going to interfere, and... I guess the 80s were less strict about that. Well, clearly, hey, I need some pills for a bunch of people that you don't know and are not going to look at to make sure these pills are safe for them, and just give me the prescription and I will drug them myself. And I'll dose it. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. What I'm a nurse's aide. What the hell? Well, they thought of her as a nurse. No. <laughs> she was so, like I said, she was convicted of three of the murders, though the jury could not agree on the other six. After several days of deliberation, the jury was deadlocked, seven to five for life. Wow. The judge, Michael V. Virga, declared a mistrial when the jury said further, <gasps> when the jury said further deliberations would, 
uh, deliberations would not change their mind. Under the law, Puente received life without the possibility of parole. Oh, for the sex, but not for the thing. Oh, okay. She was incarcerated at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, California for the rest of her life. She maintained she was innocent, insisting that all her tenants had died of natural causes. She said to one interview, one interviewer, first of all, I was getting the checks. I didn't need to kill anyone. Why would I waste all my time to get these people cleaned up, make sure they have no diseases, and get all their affairs in order if I was going to kill them? Because you're pretending that they weren't dead. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even know how to feed them. Yeah. But there were seven bodies in her yard. Or give them, uh, give them, like, their, oh yeah, give them their, like, allowance. Like, you wouldn't have to give them their allowance. And... Yeah, I read somewhere that she was making off of their, um, benefits or whatever. She yeah. was making around $5,000 a month. Damn. Just from that. In the 80s. Yeah. Wow. And so that she did buy, she liked to buy nice clothes and stuff. Well, for of course, you're only paying $600 in rent, and yeah. then you're probably not paying that much for food. Yeah, so she had like nice lavish wow. outfits. And she had a, a rich taste for clothing. Wow. So she was stylish at least. So she also said the only time they were in good health was when they stayed at my home. Was she getting them sober? It didn't so, sound like Well, like it, I said, so if there's like seven people, nine people dead. But during that time, she had hundreds of people coming in. But the out. one guy lived there for three years and was saying that he was getting he didn't see anything. super drunk oh, at yeah. the beginning. So he, like, wasn't sober. No, but he had to stay a stable place. To no, stay. I know that. Yeah. I'm just saying that her being like, why would I get them all clean and fix up? And yeah. Because it sounds like she maybe, wasn't. Maybe she meant physically clean, like they were bathed, because otherwise they'd be on the streets. Oh, maybe. She could also see her role as, like, a lot bigger than it was. Mm-hmm. Well, she's basically, like, the mother of everyone. Mm. Oh, yeah, because she said, uh, the only time they were in good health was when they stayed at my home. I made them change their clothes every day, take a bath every day, and eat three meals oh, okay. a day. Mm-hmm. These were people the Salvation Army wouldn't take. When they came to me, they were so sick. They, w- they weren't expected to live. Um, the psychiatrist diagnosed Puente as suffering from antisocial personality disorder. Oh, called it! A condition marked by deceit and manipulation of others without remorse. Man, I can just, like, whip out these diagnoses, no problem. (laughs) Ready for this shit. Give me my doctorate, I'm prepared. Done. We can just make one up for you. We can just tap, 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 tap. Photoshop. Um, he speculates that running a boarding house began for her as a humane endeavor rooted in a desire to undo painful childhood memories. I think she truly wanted to rehabilitate her tenants as she could not the peop- as she could not the people in her own family. On the other hand, when these people, as could be expected, would act up, at that point she snapped and decided to kill them. Okay, see that's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't make you a good person because you're taking people in. She died on... If you're killing them. Right. (laughs) She died on March 27th, 2011. What? In prison in Chowchilla at the age of 82. Wow. From natural causes. Wow. Also, check out this shirt. Sacramento, I dig it. No! But also, how? Like, that house is so small. How? Yeah, so actually, it's kind of kind of cool because that ha- because most houses that have had horrible things happen in them are yeah. immediately torn down. Yeah. But because it is a house from the 1800s, Victorian house, yeah. that 
already like when she moved in there it was a historical house yeah it cannot huge it move. cannot be torn down so the people that live in it now they were able to refinish and fix everything up but yeah. everything in there is original except i guess they remodeled a little bit of the kitchen but everything else in there is original wow. like even the hardwood floors wow. are original and uh they seem like a really fun couple. They seem really funny, and also, like, leave us the fuck alone. We know that we're living in her house. The, the, well, it seemed Please like... Please stop bothering the, us. I don't know. The guy thinks, like, thought it was fun. Maybe for the first while. Yeah, but I you, think people stopping by all the time just to, like, gawk and be like, can we come in and see? And they're probably just like, that's no, why this they, is our have, house. So they put up signs. Yeah, I know. I saw... Yeah, that's what I mean. Why that I, are like, trespassers will be uh, drugged and buried. Oh. <laughs> and um and then no but the so I was watching like there there's an episode of some like house show where they do like a tour or whatever and they did it with them. Oh. And they were like super into it. Like the guy was like, Yeah, like maybe I'm just weird. Like I kinda like the attention and I like like the oh, really? the way that it is. Like I like people coming by and kinda gawking and like it kinda makes it like Do they let you go in? Special. I wanna go in. They've done tours. They were on so they so what is it, the old Old Sacramento, not Old Sacramento, the Sacramento Home Tours or whatever. No, not the Home Tours. Yes. Not like the fancy Ritz. Not the, no, no, yeah, (laughs) it's like, like, but I guess like the Historical Society. Oh, okay. The Historical Society of Sacramento does home tours and they were never on it, but then like in 2011 or something or 2008, I think they, they went, they decided to do it. And so they had people coming, touring their house and even the original police officer who arrested her, he came and did tours and would, like, tell people, like, oh, this is where, like, this is the murder room. I want to go. This is where they bar- buried the bodies. This is, like, where I first dug the first body. <gasps> yeah. And they had oh ghost, uh, uh, ghost Adventures did an episode in their house. Okay, then how is it so big? How are there all those rooms? There cannot be. I want to go in that house. Yeah. It's a beautiful you house. Have to go in it's it. so cool, but also... Super sad. And they have on the porch, they have a mannequin yes. that's dressed like Dorothy Puente. Yeah. And she's like holding a shovel with the, like the red coat that she was, um, she, she had on when they first like were digging, found the bodies in the yard. Wow. Yeah. I went by there the other day, not that long ago. It's a cute I house. Our family is like so into true crime that we just like walk by and we're like, hmm. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Wow. They said like still to this day, there's people that stop by. Of course. Like, take pictures in front of the house and um, oh then maybe i misinterpreted their like signs or whatever. yeah no he like at least in the video that i watched which i think was from like 2010 or something he was like totally into it the wife was like she just like seemed like she would go along with it she was like whatever like he gets a kick out of it and like He's like, I'm a true. Get to live in this super cool house. I'm a true crime junkie, and also, uh, but I also what? like really appreciate, like, I really love Victorian homes. Yes. And they were like, we were actually looking at a to buy a house next door, <gasps> and then like this one wasn't. They didn't advertise that it was for sale, I guess, because who's gonna buy it? Yeah. But they like discovered that it was, and they took a tour, and they loved it. Yeah. And they, I'm and sure it, it's super and cool. And it was way cheaper than the other house. Of course, it's a murder. And house. then I guess their so their real estate agent like was like looking at the house or whatever, and then he like saw on his thing like. A little note that was like this house like was involved in a murder or whatever yeah. so then he called them up and was like hey so i know like you guys are really interested in buying this house but i have to tell you like i have to disclose this information and he told them and they were like oh yeah we know we're excited to buy the house oh my god <laughs> were they the next owners yeah i think so yeah whoa because because it was owned by her nephew right so i think like he had it for a while and then decided to get rid of it wow 
Well, and really, like, it could have been, it could have gotten, like, all dilapidated and, you know, if they hadn't bought it and loved it. Yeah, and it is it a looks super cool really house. Nice. Like, the Victorians in Sacramento are beautiful. And if you could get one for a good deal, fuck yeah. Also, what? Yep. Would you live there? I would Hell still yeah. live there. I would Hell yeah. Live there. Well, the <gasps> Ghost Adventures, when they did their episode, they caught a lot of voices. <gasps> really? And they were in there and they were like, um, they were asking, like, are there more people buried on the property? Ooh. And someone, and they heard a voice say, 15. <gasps> and so they found... No. They found nine bodies, right? In and the backyard. Then, well, seven bodies. Did they dig up the basement? No. But, yeah, so they, they, they also caught the voices basement. being, like, un, like under concrete. <gasps> and, like, no! And then they caught, like, they caught, like, four different names of, like, people. They were like, who's in here? And it'd be like, Bill. Or, like... Well, yeah, because how long was she running that? Since the 60s. She was there, at least. She had the the property since 68, I think. I wonder how she decided who she was going to kill. Wow. Maybe who was ever getting the most benefits. Wow. There are for sure more bodies there. Yeah. Or in the river. Like, did she dump more in the river? Who knows? Who knows? <gasps> oh! Who <laughs> oh knows? Oh, my God. That crazy bitch. The police oh. officer, he said, like, there's probably more bodies that they haven't gotten to under the house. A hundred percent, yeah. Or she hid them elsewhere. <gasps> Dorothea, you But like bitch. I said, I watched the interrogation of her right when she got arrested yeah. out of LA and she's like, I don't know, like, why would I have anything to do with it? Like, why would I have told you to yeah, dig if, like, I had anything to do with it? I'm just trying to... Because she thought she could talk her way out of it. I'm just trying to clear my name. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe she's like, I... Because they were like, well, how would you not notice, like, one of your tenants digging in the yard and yeah. she was like I'm an older woman like I go to sleep around 8 p.m. usually like yeah. I sleep heavy because I have to, sl- I have to take sleeping oh, pills I'm to go to sleep sweet little old lady I, I don't, don't you know I don't know what goes on around the house I got all these those tenants. pills that I give to everyone and I take them myself too and you know? I'm taking in all these people that have like dark backgrounds different walks of life have you seen what I've done for the, the like Mexican community here <laughs> how good I am yeah wow She's fascinating. Wow. Yeah, textbook. I'd say textbook antisocial personality disorder. I literally watched like two hours of her just being like... Fascinating. I mean, I'm trying to help you as much as I can. She was like, would it help if I hired a team to dig out the yard? So then like... (laughs) How would that help? So then you can clear my name to show like that I'm obviously like I'm helping you do this. How would that help There's no more bodies and I didn't do it. She was like offering me all these weird things like, you know... Well, I mean, on her part, like, yeah, you're going to get caught. You might as well just lean into it, you know? Yeah. What are you going to do? It's like, well, they're going to dig that shit up anyway, so. But the fact that, like, because literally he was like, is it okay if we dig more in your yard, Dorothea? Like, you can, he was like, you can say no. And she was like, no, I want you to. I want you to clear my name. Like, this is ridiculous. Well, also, if she said no, they're just going to get a warrant, though, and they're going to come out there and dig more. And then they're going to be like, well, why didn't you want us to dig? That's what I'm saying. Like, I think she did the best that she could. And she was probably like, yeah, of course you can dig. Why not? And then when she knew that they were going to find bodies, she could just deny it and be like, well, yeah, why would I let you dig up my yard if I knew there were bodies in there? Clearly, I didn't. Clearly, I'm innocent. (gasps) I mean, she's gone her entire life as a, yeah, she's lied about tons of things. And the article, it goes on and on. She, like, talks about how she was friends with, like, the Kennedys and how she, like, went to all these, like, fancy. In her mind. Yeah, she went to all, she, like, knew all these, like, politicians and, like, mm-hmm. went to fancy dinners and events with them and 
all this stuff that like is not there's no way to corroborate it yeah but like she she like goes into great detail about like oh you know i didn't get along with um jackie like her Ugh, and i yeah, didn't really course. get along or whatever but like you know me and like i mean john other, was cool like, yeah, but he was jackie cool, but we was, just didn't get we along just clashed a bit We're, yeah and like <sighs> like this article that this in the wow. sack sack magazine was like five pages long of just like oh just letting her go on and on yeah. and, and the on. one the woman like saying you know like go in and meet her and like yeah. what, what the woman she needed. probably loved it she loved she it loved she loved every yeah because and... she would like she'd be like yeah and we'd be talking and someone would pass by and she'd be like oh see that woman that woman's in here for like x y and z and she did this and that and like see that woman over there she's like doing this wow and, like, she's just a web spinner wow oh man that is a wild story so I didn't I did not know that she had like such a horrible childhood I knew nothing about her background but, wow. So, toss salad. The toss salad and the scrambled egg. The toss salad, a scrambled egg. The toss salad. The toss salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. Scrambled egg. Toss salad. Definitely I think. toss salad. I don't think she's out of her mind. I think she clearly knows how to use people to get what she wants. Yeah, I'm not sure what the perimeter for the diagnosis, the diagnosis of schizophrenia was back in the. I think that 70s if they just didn't 80s, understand like, like what, they just didn't understand you, then like, they were just like, oh, schizophrenia. Oh, uh, like how they would say like women are hysterical. They have yeah. hysteria. Yeah, melancholy. Lock her away. Hysteria. Yeah. Was yeah, and I doubt. She wants I to mean, run her own business. <laughs> I really doubt that antipsychotics would have worked for her. Also, who knows what antipsychotics were in the 60s? Probably, like, super Just intense. speed. I, yeah, who fucking knows? Heroin or cocaine? Yeah. Speedballs? <laughs> speedballs. I don't know, but... Wow. Dorothea Puente. That was good. I mean, awful, but... Wow. It was fun, though, because... I mean, because since they don't really know much dirty details of how the things went done so it yeah. was more like just learning about her because i didn't know anything about her other than like oh yeah. she buried bodies in the yard of course right she had tenants and she killed them and buried their bodies and spent but then you're looking at your like, checks it's the whole thing of like what how how did she do it how did she as this small woman how did you manage as a little old woman to drag full bodies that are literally dead weight because she was so good she was so good at using people and finding the perfect people that she could use. Yeah. Well, so uh, the the mentally ill guy that they were looking for yeah. by the cops came digging. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, she had told them because his social worker was someone that was on top of it. Yeah, and, good on and her. They, and they had, she had been in contact she, with, with him, like, period, like, consistently. Yeah. And when he, when she didn't get his phone call. Yeah. She was, like, worried, and so then she checked up on it. See, now that's a good person who's doing good work yeah. for good reasons. Yeah, and so when the police came, because she was like, I, hadn't, I haven't heard from him in three months. That's, yeah. And so the police came, and Dorothea was like, I saw him this weekend. He was around, and then mm. one of her tenants was like, yeah, I saw him this week. I saw him Sunday. And then it come to find oh. out that she had told the, that guy that he was to lie for her. Wow. And he hadn't seen him. He didn't know where he was, but he didn't think that there was any reason that she would be lying about, like, him dying. You know, like, him disappearing. disappearing. Yeah, so wow. she, she, like, bribed him or whatever to lie to the cop about it. Well, that is a good social worker. Good for her. 
for being on top of her shit. Yeah. Caring about her clients. Yeah. If it wasn't for her, like... But then she also felt horrible because she had been sending lots of clients to Dorothea. Oh, Because she was under the impression that it was, like, a safe place for these people that they couldn't go anywhere else. where to go. And so she was like, oh, great. Like, I know this wonderful little old lady who lives in, like, this nice house in downtown Sacramento. great location. Beautiful. Like, yeah. And, like, she's been helping all these down-and-out people. Wow. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, so you gotta be careful. Yeah, always. Well, she was doing what she could do, though. I mean, she sent them there, but she was checking up on them all the time. Right. So, oh. And she had had people that, like, lived there not not go missing. You always have to dig up the backyard. Yeah. Like, she had sent people... How many years was that backyard smelling, like, horribly decomposing bodies in the summertime? Like... Ugh. And the neighbors were just, like... Only kill in the wintertime. You cannot bake bodies. Just bury them deeper. Yeah, Sacramento is not the place. And now for the portion that we like to call Crime and Mistakes, where we find an insane story about crime from the people who have prepared the things we just told you. Article. Okay, it says Orange County. Florida. Uh, A Florida man is facing trespassing charges after security found him camping on Walt Disney World's Discovery Island, according to the Orange County Sheriff's Office. That's a dream. (laughs) I want to camp there. Deputies said that they were called to 4301 North World Drive Thursday after Richard McGuire, 42, was spotted on the Disney-owned property, which is currently closed to the public. Orange County deputies searched for McGuire on foot, by helicopter, and by boat before finally making contact with him, according to an arrest report. When deputies told McGuire they had been using a loudspeaker to address him, he said he didn't hear them because he was sleeping inside one of the buildings on the island, which he referred to as a tropical paradise, according to the report. Beautiful. According to an arrest report, McGuire told deputies he was not aware that the property was off limits and that he had been camping there since Monday or Tuesday and planned to stay for about a week. Oh my God. McGuire was arrested and charged with trespassing on posted private, on posted property, and was also ordered not to return to any additional Walt Disney World properties, according to the report. Oh my God. <laughs> just camping in Walt Disney World. That would be kind of fun. Living in one of the buildings. Hell yeah. Living like and then look at this mugshot. He's like Donald's got the pouty lips. He's Ooh. like, what? I was just camping for like, I was planning on camping for a week. He's a camper. <laughs> Looks like he's going to kiss the person taking his picture. Uh, wow. Yeah. The title is Report. Man caught camping on Disney's Discovery Island says it was a tropical paradise. Wow. Yeah. I love it. So good. I have a story from Florida as well. Yeah, let's hear it. All right, this is from Tampa. Is this another Florida man? This is a Florida woman. Oh. (laughs) A woman who visited Hamburger Mary's in Tampa is now suing the establishment for $1.5 million after she says she was injured by a drag queen's breast while at dinner with friends. Oh, no. In 2015. Neldon Molina says she was with friends and family at the restaurant for dinner to celebrate the friend's birthday on May 30th, 2015. According to the complaint, the suit says that the suit says that this is the first time Molina had ever visited the restaurant in Tampa. 
She says, when she entered the establishment, she didn't see any signs of any special events. She was eating her fish and chips dinner at approximately 8.45 p.m. when she heard music and heard someone begin to speak. And then the crowd cheered and clapped. She turned, <laughs> she turned her chair around to see what was going on and saw a person dancing on the stage that was in the restaurant behind her to the left. She started watching and overheard another table say that the drag queen show is starting. She turned back around and continued to eat and socialize with her friends and family as the show went on, according to the complaint. At approximately 9.40 p.m., Melina turned around and saw performer Amanda DeHod point at her and start to walk toward her table. Melina claims she immediately turned around to ignore the performance. Oh. <laughs> A few minutes later, Melina felt someone touch her shoulders from behind and noticed it was Amanda DeHod. Uh -oh. According to the complaint, Amanda DeHod walked in front of Melina and unexpectedly grabbed Melina's head and wiggled her breasts against the plaintiff's <laughs> face. Against the plaintiff's face and head eight times. Oh, she counted. <laughs> DeHod reportedly grabbed Melina's face and pushed it in to the left and right before violently pounding it against oh, DeHod's no. chest up to nine times. Oh. <laughs> the complaint says... Melina let a restaurant manager know that she was in excruciating pain. Whoa, what was in those boobs? <laughs> and she was getting a headache, and she filed a complaint. The manager told Melina he would notify and give the complaint to the owner, who was not currently at the restaurant. Melina later went to the emergency room at what? Memorial Hospital of Tampa for excruciating cervical pain and uncontrollable headaches. Like cervical spine. Oh, yeah. See, <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't connect that. I was like, she got shake, shake, yeah. shaking so she hard. Got shake so hard. Her cervix Her hurts. vagina hurt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that too, and I was like, wait, that doesn't right. make sense. <laughs> I didn't know there was a thing called a cervical spine. Yeah. The manager called Melina weeks later and gave her the business information, or the business insurance information for her to follow up on the complaint. Melina is seeking $1.5 million for medical, medical costs and expenses for the past, present, and future, including the pain and suffering she physically and mentally endured. The complaint also states that Hamburger Mary's failed to advise anyone of the possible dangers while dining at the restaurant. Well, also, <laughs> I feel like there are usually signs that are like, you know, Tuesday's um, drag night, or sure you have to pay like a okay, fee. Okay, but literally go, Hamburger right? Mary's is like a gay... Like <laughs> restaurant. Yeah, it was probably like their weekly, their monthly yes. event. Don't you usually pay extra though for that? Like sometimes, to get in. Like sometimes they still do like a like a like a brunch thing, or but this is dinner. But like sometimes they'll just do part of like it'll just be part of the oh, show or whatever, and they the get funsies. tips. Oh my god! <laughs> also, what was she stuffing with rocks? <laughs> I'm sure she just had a breast form, which is like squishier. Like I don't know what the fuck this woman. I don't know. Oh man, she was jostled. Nine times. I mean, eight to or the nine right times. and to the left and to the right and to the left. Felt about eight or nine times. <laughs> wow. Yeah. While it may or may not be possible to teach an old dog new tricks, <laughs> okay. <laughs> teaching a dog of any age to drive is not possible. Not not is not advisable. Uh no. Washington Street State. <laughs> 
Washington State Troopers say that during a high-speed chase near oh, no. Lakewood on Sunday, they were astounded to see that a pit bull was in the driver's seat of a 1996 Buick they were pursuing. What? The vehicle reached speeds of 109 miles per hour on Interstate 5 and hit at least two other cars before driving onto a trail for cyclists and pedestrians. What the fuck? Troopers say, just crazy driving, says Trooper Heather Axman. When police finally stopped the vehicle with with spike strips, the 50-year-old 51-year-old man inside told troopers he had been teaching his dog to drive. What the fuck? <laughs> I wish I could make this up, Axman tells CNN. I've been a trooper for almost 12 years, and wow, I've never heard this excuse. He's like, I can't find a designated driver, so I'll just teach my dog to be the DB. I've been in a lot of high-speed chases. I've stopped a lot of cars, and never have I gotten an excuse that they were teaching their dog how to drive. Troopers say the pit bull was in the driver's seat while the man steered. The suspect was... What? I don't know. The suspect has been charged with reckless endangerment, hit and run, driving under the influence, and felony eluding. Axman says the dog is a very... The man or the dog? (laughs) Felony eluding. The guy. Axman says the dog, a very sweet girl, was taken to an animal shelter. Oh, honey. I know. Poor baby has to go to an animal shelter. She was probably scared. Maybe that's what happened to your dog. I was just going to (laughs) say. That's why she hates the car. Maybe Zephyr hates the car because she was in a high-speed chase. Someone tried to teach her how to drive. Like, Like, how does that work? It doesn't. Well, clearly. (laughs) I'm thinking that she was just in the driver's seat and he had his, like, foot on the gas and was steering. And he was like, see, this is how you drive, Trixie. Oh, my God. This is how you're going to get me home every night. <laughs> you think wow. he can afford to have a self-driving car? That's why he's got to hire his dog. I mean, who can afford that? So we got to use what we can. <laughs> What's available? Our dogs. Wow. Wow. Well, <laughs> that was fun. That was insane. <laughs> that was so insane. So I've got to teach Zephyr to drive. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing. She just wants to be in control. I, I don't mean, really like being a passenger what? in some people's cars because they drive crazy. It's quarantine. The streets are empty. You might Take as well her get out. her out there. And that her you don't even need to start in a parking lot. No. Just get her right out with a stick shift. <laughs> Obviously, oh my I'll God. have to shift for her. You're going to have to make her some shoes with platforms on the bottom so she can put her little doggy feet on the pedals. No, we just have to. I just have to configure my truck to be like the people that, like, are paralyzed and drive that they have the the brake and gas as like hand control yeah 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 Yeah. now we're thinking okay but she doesn't have thumbs so that's gonna be tricky (laughs) okay so first we gotta find some thumbs sew them on reconfigure my truck you know at this point with all that expense i might as well just get a self-driving car you might as well it's gonna be way too much to outfit that truck and get her to like use three different switches and buttons and yeah, that's going to be too much for her. She's smart, though. She's a smart girl. I'm not saying she couldn't do it. <laughs> I'm not trying to insult her intelligence. She could do it, for sure. But mm-hmm. should she? Probably right. not. I mean, because does that mean I have to take her to DMV to get a, like, a license oh and everything? Oh, my God. <laughs> do the behind the wheel. She can get an ugly license picture like the uh, rest of us. She's too beautiful. She is. <laughs> she only poses beautifully. She is a good poser. All right. Well... Yeah, that was a good one. That was... Thank you for tuning in once again. Yeah, I'm glad that we didn't do, like, children being murdered this time. That made it a little I tried easier, to go for but... something that was not 
It's children. still really sad. It's still really sad. They're all going to be sad They're and all tragic. sad. They're all awful. It's e- true. Everything we read about is going to be the worst because we're literally talking about the worst. The worst of the worst. Yeah. It's true. It's going to be, I mean, yeah. These ones are just a little more sensationalized in their day and because it's like, what, what? the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, yeah. So, thanks for listening. And don't forget to check out Humble Bee Herbal, our sponsor. That's right, humblebeeherbal.com. Humble Bee Herbal, they only make the most natural. They use all natural, <laughs> all natural ingredients. Humble Bee Herbal, using only natural. Humble Bee Herbal, using all natural ingredients and sustainable product. <laughs> Humble Bee Herbal. <laughs> Just buy their shit. <laughs> It's good it's shit. It's good. It's really good. It's natural and it works. And they're trying to eliminate as much waste as possible. So they use minimal plastic. Lots of glasses used. Paper. Recyclable. Yep. Cutting things. down their footprint. That's right. And, and now that we're all, you know, keeping up on our hygiene so much, you might as well give an all-natural product a try. Because ingredients matter. And what goes on your skin goes in. Uh, yeah. So, you know. Also, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope that... We made your day a little bit easier today. Check us out next week for a fun episode. Don't say fun. We can't promise fun. (laughs) Check us out next week for an episode. Yes, that's good. An episode. We promise you an episode, and that's as far as we'll go. And... Yeah. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thanks, Mom. Okay, bye, Mom. (laughs) Bye, Mom.